Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Trish. And this is the Don't Give a 50 podcast. Let's make getting old the new gold, as you say. I like that. I like that one too. That was mine. That was mine. Hi, it's Mel and Trish. Welcome to this pre-Christmas episode of Don't Give a 50, the podcast for midlife women who dare to be awesome and just don't give a 50 like us. We want to thank you all for all your support since we launched our podcast in August this year. The encouragement and kind feedback has been generous and very, very much appreciated. Thank you, ladies. You're awesome. If you would love to give us an awesome Christmas present that won't cost you a thing, please rate, review and subscribe to our potty. So this week's epic guest, Dr. George Blair West, is our gift to you. We're talking to George all about how we can do our best to have a merry, drama and incident-free Christmas. But first, George's bio. Are you ready? (laughs) Get ready. George is a world-renowned author, researcher, and doctor specializing in psychiatry. In the 90s, as senior lecturer of psychiatry at the University of Queensland, George published widely on suicide and depression before turning his focus to the psychological forces that prevent weight loss. His best-selling book, Weight Loss for Food Lovers, Understanding Our Minds and Why We Sabotage Our Weight Loss, along with various research papers, resulted in keynote addresses, a regular spot on the Australian Breakfast Show Today, and media appearances around the world. George has written a children's book on teaching healthy eating habits and received an international award for his book, The Quest, which delved into the how-to of finding one's meaning and purpose in life while building healthy relationships. But wait, there's more. His TED Talk, Three Ways to Build a Happy Marriage and Avoid Divorce, has had over 3.8 million views worldwide. Drawing on his 25 years as a relationship therapist, George has this year released How to Make the Biggest Decision of Your Life, a book co-authored with his daughter, Jivani Blair West, a dating coach. He and his wife, Penny, a psychologist, celebrated 33 years of marriage this year. And Trish, I'm not the slightest bit intimidated by that (laughs) because 
I can't compete. No, no competing with that. Oh I think my George God. might have to dumb himself down a bit for yeah. us today in layman's terms. <laughs> George, welcome. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you, ladies. It's a pleasure to be here. And just saying you're our first male guest. So how are you feeling about that? Yeah, no pressure, no pressure. I'll, uh, just imagine I'll, you're walking into a room full of 50-ish women. Got it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> you're on to it. Okay. So, George, we're talking Christmas. Most of us love Christmas. Of course, what's not to love? It's sold as an amazing, sparkly time full of fun, festive celebrations with family, good friends, acts of kindness, give, giving and good cheer. We know that Christmas can be an absolute hoot, all that and more. Ready for the butt? But (laughs) we also know that family dynamics change, children grow older, get partners, so other families need to be considered. There are unfortunate separations, divorce, and now COVID constantly threatening plans. Throw in some unresolved family dramas and Christmas can lose its sparkle very quickly. Fall short of expectations and go tits up in a flash. (laughs) George, let's dive right in the deep end. Christmas can go wrong for families. In the conversations in the lead up to our chat today, you mentioned what perhaps sums up the worst of this. When grandma gets punched in the face, <laughs> good grief, Mel and I have been dying to hear this story. Over to you, George. Bad to laugh, but we yeah, are inappropriate. Yeah, that's I'm just, I'm us. absolutely, yeah, fascinated with this story. Fortunately, enough time has gone by that we can laugh about this because I, I heard this from a patient very early on in my practice, which I've been in private practice now for over 25 years. And that period after Christmas, when people come back into therapy in the new year is such a rich time, but often it gets summarized by people just telling me about Christmas Day. And I was listening to this woman once just telling me about how things started to go badly with her extended family on Christmas Day. And then things started to get physical And then she said, and then grandma got punched in the face. And at that point I thought, yep, that's a benchmark at a very high level of things going badly for a family. And I I kind of used that as my benchmark. And then it was only about five or six years ago and I had another patient walk in and tell me a similar story about how badly things went and then grandma got punched in the face. And I thought, you know, that's it wasn't even the same patient. These were two separate patients separated by more than a decade. And fortunately, I don't, I mean, I live in a, in a world, of course, where I see more families with dysfunction than most. But let's remember the concept of a normal family is pretty elusive. There's, there's, particularly as you mentioned, when you have other people in the mix, the plus ones and their families and their issues, and it's a ready mix for things to go badly. I'm actually really glad that you said that the normal family is an illusion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It actually makes me feel a lot better. Yeah, and I think we often say that I think this generation, we're all being more open about dysfunction and a bit more vulnerability, showing a bit more vulnerability about what's going on behind the scenes, where I think in our parents' generation and their parents, everyone just pretended that their family was fine. So if you did have some sort of dysfunction, you almost felt a little bit embarrassed about it. But now you're like, oh, yeah, everyone has that. Yeah, I think that's actually... That, that's true. I think as much as we have social media typically comparing people's backstages with other people's front stages, you know, we compare our own backstage with other people's front stages, I think one of the things about the millennials that I've worked with is that they are talking a lot more and are more open about 
vulnerability. I think people like Brene Brown have helped the world shift in, in recognizing this is how we build intimacy and connection. And that means that we do hear about these things in a way that we might not have heard about them previously. And we realize that we're all connected. We're all one in a way that I don't think we we realised in those older generations where a stiff upper lip and, and, and not letting the information get outside the, the front door of the house was the norm. George, can you just explain a little bit more about the backstage and the front stage? Yeah, I love like, that. So comparing someone's, your backstage with someone's front stage. Yeah, yeah. I often call it Instasham. <laughs> They're only putting the good stuff up. Yeah. Well, that's the point, of course. And it looks in the literally the last couple of months, like the world's starting to recognise the fullness of this and the social media giants are starting to pay attention to it. But yes, in essence, our natural human default position is to compare ourselves with other people and the narcissists will compare themselves overly against people that they, they think are inferior. But the majority of people tend to compare their, their weaknesses, their, their shortcomings with other people's strengths which is, of course, is a very powerful way to beat oneself up. And I think that's been one of the great tragedies with, so, with social media is that it's allowed an explosion of that to a whole other level. But equally, it may mean that because of that, we're now having a wind back in a way that wouldn't have happened if that had not occurred. Does that make sense? It does. So why exactly do you think that has occurred? I think we're hopefully at the beginning of it. You know, we had the, yep. the Facebook uh, woman come out and, and speak about the culture in, in Facebook and how they knew that they were allowing posts to go up that were significantly affecting the mental health, particularly of teenagers. And mm. that I think now is going to get people recognising that these social media giants, they can actually monitor and control and and, and do that differently. And let's hope that that's now where this goes, that there becomes more of a social conscience in that. The problem being a teenager is that you like to see yourself as a young adult and you want to have your own identity. The only problem is you have no idea what that identity is. And so we go casting around looking for some place to define ourselves. And of course, when everybody's putting their best foot forward on social media, this becomes more of a problem than it was previously. And so we've kind of accelerated, I think, the whole process, but that may flush out these issues and may result in us evolving to a better place. I hope so. I really do, you know. Would you agree with the expression that comparison is the thief of joy? Yes, I I, I think that's a lovely way of putting it. There's a, a line in Desiderata that goes, do not compare yourself with others because you shall become vain for always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Yeah, there you that's go. brilliant. Yeah. And, um, and the, moment, the moment we're doing a comparison, we're in trouble. What, what you see with quietly confident people is they're not comparing themselves with other people. They know that we're all different. There's always going to be somebody who's better at some things than you, and you'll be better at some things, you know, better, better than other people in some ways, in some particular skill or ability you might have. And that's just the mix of being human. There is no better yeah. or worse in any ultimate sense. I guess That's it's just brilliant. reaching acceptance with that, isn't it? Yeah, being comfortable. Mm. I am good enough. Yeah, I am enough. 
Okay. George, I feel that Christmas is a time of choice for many families. So when choices have to be made about, for example, spending time with one side of the family or another side of the family. And it seems to me to be the perfect time for any simmering tensions to come to the surface. So what advice can you give us on how best to manage these tensions? Yeah. So the first thing here is we've got to understand what I call the unholy trinity of Christmas. And these are three factors that when they come together, create a perfect storm that you know, may result in grandma getting punched in the face. So the first one is that we're looking at often families who are coming together with a lot of unresolved issues from the preceding year or sometimes many years. And they come together on Christmas Day with those issues simmering in the background. Second factor is that families tend to give themselves more license to drink alcohol over extended periods of time on Christmas Day. The drinking starts earlier and it goes later. And then I think there's a misguided faith that the Christmas spirit's going to carry everybody through these potential conflicts. And in my experience, often the spirit of Christmas gets overwhelmed by the spirits in alcohol and things (laughs) go badly. So, George, how do we do a better Christmas day, especially if you know that there's some tension and your family could head down a problematic path? Yeah, so let's break down that unholy trinity because that tells us sort of where we can go next. So the first thing is, and I'm often getting family members to do this, if there are some clear unresolved issues between members in the family, I say, look, get together with that person before Christmas Day. You don't want this to become something that comes out in that mix of Christmas Day and see if you can work through those issues so that you go in with a cleaner slate on Christmas Day. So that's that's the first thing. If there are unresolved issues, see if you can work through them. The next big one, of course, is alcohol. And one of the things that I remember growing up was that after lunch, we used to get out and have a family game of cricket. And we'd all play badly with tennis balls instead of cricket balls because, you know, they hurt if they hit you hard. And it was, it was more of a time to just joke around. Nobody took it terribly seriously, but that would take an hour, an hour and a half or two hours that nobody's really drinking and mm. you're actually doing something, you know, physical and whatever it, you know, it might be. But playing games, one of the problems with people playing games in a house is that they can often keep drinking while they do that. So just some simple ways of structuring the day to make it less likely for people to drink larger amounts of alcohol. And that's something I'm reintroducing this year. We've just moved to a place where we have got a bit more land and I'm really looking forward to getting the family out there to play some cricket, backyard cricket in that great Australian tradition uh, after lunch. It's a matter of sort of trying to structure the day in a different direction. And then, of course, we need to recognise that the Christmas spirit isn't going to carry us through. And we need to be careful to try not to go into places that particularly there might be some simmering resources, some sim- sorry, there might be some simmering resentments that are going to come out if we go there. Christmas Day isn't the day to do that. No, yeah, absolutely. no. This is probably a bit of a weird question, but would you actually encourage people to practice avoidance, <laughs> make other plans or... Yes. Avoid bringing up particular topics. That seems like a, okay, like a so, sensible so thing to do. Depending on on how likely I think grandma is to get punched in the face, I will <laughs> give advice to people. So some some people I say, look, leave town for Christmas. You know, this is going to go yep. badly, and yep. and it's very difficult for people to actually 
be at home in the same town and not turn up to their family's Christmas Day. It, it, that's a big snub that's usually likely to add to the unresolved issues. and, and call Yeah, them. true. But, but, or a late-night Christmas call. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so I, I literally say to people, look, plan to have a holiday somewhere else. It's hard to go yep. overseas now, of course. But it's quite legitimate because that's a, that's a holiday time of year. And when people say, oh, look, you know, I went to Bali for Christmas or I'm having Christmas up the coast or wherever it might be, that's kind of accepted by families. And so it's a very yeah. simple, very simple solution to It is know. very, yeah. But it, I totally agree because otherwise if you are in town, it is like you're being snubbed. Yeah, yeah. Or you're or snubbing. snubbing. Yeah. 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 I think that's so Mm. true. And I like the concept of getting together before Christmas. I think it's always hard in that tense situation for somebody to be the hero in that relationship and reach out and go, look, we're going to be together. Things are awkward. Let's have a chat about them now so we don't spoil everyone else's fun because of the awkward vibe around us. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's just the right way to to, to think of it, Tricia. Oh, Oh, good on you. Yay. So jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so, George, the Five Love Languages book by Gary Chapman is a fantastic read, yeah, and one that Mel and I want to delve into more with our listeners at a later stage. But it outlines the five general ways that romantic partners express and experience love, which Chapman calls his love languages. Gift giving is one of Chapman's languages of love. How does this play out on Christmas? And I know that some of us have expectations of gifts and you don't want to let people down if they're expecting something good. But as a 50-ish mother and wife, you normally just buy your own presents these days and have no <laughs> expectations. <laughs> Ladies, my tip on avoiding disappointment with Christmas gifts is buy, buy your own. own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I encourage every couple that I work with to familiarise themselves with the love languages it is such a simple but important thing to do. The way I sell it to the blokes is you can be much more of a lazy lover if you understand. <laughs> that was a great sales pitch. I'm sure all the ladies are out there going, yeah, I think I was going to buy yeah. that sales yes. pitch too. That's right because as I, as I go on to say, you know, a lot of the time you put in effort in, a, in making your partner feel loved in a way that doesn't actually work. It isn't their love language. Yeah. And so all of that effort gets wasted. And so what we want to do is be lazy about it, work out exactly what it is that our, our partners, usually we look at their first, their primary and secondary love languages and make sure that if you want to make them feel loved, that you're working in that way, in, in, in that language so that they, they hear it and feel it. And so, because so often I, I have men and women that I work with tell me how they did this, this, and this, and their partner just doesn't appreciate it. And that is always a segue into love languages because nearly always what we do by default is we work from the love language that comes naturally to us, which is our primary and secondary love languages. And yeah. if you're lucky, they might overlap with your partner, but often they don't. And that's why you can jump on the website, you can do the test really quickly, you can work out you know, what, what love languages and I, now you do it with kids as well. We've done this with both of our children so that we know exactly how it works. And having mentioned my my kids now, Penny and I were probably 15 to 20 years into our marriage giving each other gifts for, for Christmas and birthdays when one day we kind of looked at each other and went, 
do you really like getting gifts? And she said, nah, they're just stuff. And I said, me neither. And when we did our love languages, it was like, I don't know, 5% or something, you know, right down the very bottom level of meaningful. And so from that point forward, we just stopped giving each other gifts for both, both Christmas and and, and birthdays, which people seem to think is very odd. But if you understand love languages, what we do instead is we write each other a card. And th- these aren't, you know, simple cards. We'll often write at some length about what, what it is that we appreciate in our partner, which, of course, is a la- love language that both my wife and I share, which is meaningful connection, intimate time together. And, and what we're doing is we're giving the gift that's in the language that we know has a greater impact. And coming back to my kids, when we did their love languages, I don't know if this is if there's a gene for this, but neither of our kids were very interested in gifts either. So, <laughs> yeah, which you know, yeah, it, it makes life simpler and less expensive, without a doubt. But it it became important to to realise that what was way more important were acts of service, words of affirmation, and that's what you then put that energy into, and and you get more bang for your buck. Again, let's be lazy lovers here. Yeah. You know what? I totally resonate with that because Jason Gordo, he's a real acts of service man. Like he just does not, no materialistic vibe. Like we had the conversation the other day. He said, don't buy me anything for Christmas. I'm buying some truck parts for myself, <laughs> which I would have bought anyway. Years ago, I would have still felt like I should have yeah. something for him to unwrap. And I think maybe it was because the kids were little and I needed them to see him unwrapping something for sure. some reason yeah. to, I don't know, validate him or so he <clears throat> felt appreciated. But obviously I was just reflecting what I needed. I needed them to make some effort to show me that I was appreciated. Yeah. So whether that was, I don't think it was necessarily the material item. It was more them going through the process of thinking, mum may like this, we will get this for mum and we will wrap it. Just so to show that they were thinking of me. And Trisha, yeah. I, 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 think for, I think for young children, I mean, we could. I mean, they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think for young children, until you do that, until they're old enough to do their love languages test and, and confirm that they yeah. don't really want gifts, they, they probably should all get them by default as a starting point. Yes. Yeah, that whole exactly. thing of, yeah, the whole surprise element, I guess, of unwrapping a gift is very, yeah. very special yeah. for, for, for children. It is. And yep. I think it wasn't until, but I, my daughter, I think, was mentioning not, not too long ago how there were several times at Christmas where she'd be disappointed because we wouldn't quite get what she wanted. And I think we get caught oh in gosh, this. gosh, that's the story of my life. Well, here's the point of the <laughs> I stick, do right? still, still, I think my mother's still scarred. I was such a <laughs> <laughs> Well, here's the bind because I think we think that a good parent or partner should be able to work out what the other person wants and not have them tell us because that would be too simple. So people will often tell us what they want, but then we'll vary it and get something a bit different or or go maybe cheaper. (laughs) 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 And and, and what happens then then is what you end up giving, not only because it's close to but not the same as, all of the benefit from it disappears because the, the person feels that they weren't really listened to, you didn't really understand what they were saying, yeah. even though they might, have yeah. articulated yeah. It, they might have articulated it you know, very specifically. So my advice yeah. to people is ask your kids what they want and get and ask them like which brand, which model, and, and yeah. particularly for yes. young kids. Send where, me the links. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Insta them to me. I, I don't know if you can do that, but that sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's a thing. I think we're right. <laughs> DM me the details. <laughs> but ask them specifically what they want and get that thing for them. Because back in the yes. day when things were, well, I think this has always been a, a, a thing, hasn't it? That certain clothing, shoes, and that brand is the cool brand. And if yep. you don't understand that and you get the brand that's just beside that brand, it, they had no benefit at all, oh. you know? Yes. I, I remember when, yep. when you yep. remember those sand shoes volleys? Oh, yeah, yes. Dunlop volleys. The, the Dunlop volley, that, it, was, it was a particularly ugly shoe and I, I used to wear them to play squash back in when I was at school. And then some years later they became a thing. And I, yeah, I, I they often work, come back. Yeah, I, I could not work that out. I mean, these are shit shoes. Why would you want, why, how could they possibly be a thing? You've got to let go of your own view of what is cool and what isn't mm, and, so and make sure you pay attention and get them exactly what, what we want. And, again, this is like being a lazy lover, isn't it? I mean, if we listen to what our kids want or our partners want and just get them exactly what they want, that's simple shopping. Everyone's you know? happy. You're in, you're in and out yeah. of the flash. Unless it's a private jet or something like that and you're talking about. You know, so during this conversation yeah. with George, okay. I've had so many flashbacks. Yeah, so have I. I. Oh, my gosh. So this one year and Sports Girl was oh, yes. cool in the 80s and I just wanted a Sports Girl beach towel, Sports mm. Girl logo, the stripe colours. Yeah. They weren't that expensive. Mm. At this stage, my auntie was working in embroidery, like embroidering <laughs> towels and stuff like that. Oh, Mum, <laughs> it still mentally scars me. <laughs> Mum bought me, or didn't buy me, got this this towel from my auntie. And because I wanted a sports girl towel, they had started referring to me as the brand snob. So then they embroidered all different brand names on this towel. Oh my gosh. And I got it for Christmas. Oh, so dirty. Actually, oh, I don't you know what? Laugh, Trish, I but still is- have it. And Gordo, I told Gordo that you story once. He it. said, I would have thrown that away. Frame you it. know where it is now? Where? It's one of the dog towels. Yeah. Just, we've had a litter of puppies, so it's on the bottom. Yeah. Uh, still I in use, though. Still in use. Still in use. And oh the other God. thing is. That's um, a ripper. Talking about getting people what you think that they would like. <laughs> it's so funny because, like, for my birthday or for, you know, Mother's Day or Father's Day, Mother's Day, Gordo will organise the kids to go up the back and we'll have like a barbecue breakfast on a little camp out fire. If I'm organising something for him, we'll go to a fancy hotel. <laughs> it's like we're both giving each other what we would really prefer to have. I think, yeah, yeah I think we all yeah. do that. Well, maybe it all just evens out. Yeah, I think it does. There was the time that I was after, I was after, I wanted to join the Thermomix cult and, you know, <laughs> I, I'd even giving him, because my birthday is Christmas Eve, so... For years, I did not want to combine Christmas and birthday presents. That was just an insult. I had enough to deal with. So one year I said, look, I will happily let you combine. You can break the rule if you birthday and Christmas and buy me a Thermomix because I know they're expensive. And he didn't. He didn't take that opportunity. So then in the February for Valentine's Day, I bought him the Thermomix. (laughs) So I think I might have the winner here. A mate of mine bought his wife for her birthday a bobcat. Yes, brilliant. Actually, we had a, a truck wreck show up on my birthday one year. <laughs> Friends of ours were laughing because we just told this Thermomix story. We'd been away for the weekend and they sent a photo of a truck wreck on the back of a truck 
at the service station and they went, ha, 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 Trish, here's your birthday present. And it was actually a wreck of a truck coming to our house. <laughs> what's the, what's and, the chances? And, and huh? Just to be clear for your listeners, a bobcat doesn't have four legs. Uh, a bo- <laughs> Yeah. It's uh, not uh, an exotic animal from Africa. <laughs> no. no well, well, of course, there is that bobcat. But no, this one has uh, capital attractors and a big bucket on the front <laughs> and, and can, can move a ton of earth in, in one scoop. That really uh, takes a cake, I, I think. That, that yeah, goes, I, oh, I think that takes a cake. That's a ripper. Yeah. Actually, my so, brother bought his wife, Michelle, a homebrew crit. Yeah, I think I've had it. I've had some shockers. I've had some shockers from my husband. There's no yeah, doubt about that. Yeah, what's the worst? Let's get in there. Let's put let's Mark in the let's get, oh, No, I have to think because I'm, I'm, my brain's frozen. I'm going to have to get back to you yeah, and I'll put, it, I'll put it on Insta. Might, Insta he's a shocker. Might Insta sham him or what is it? Yeah, because he doesn't, he doesn't give 250s about like birthdays and things like that. He's He doesn't like. He's not yeah. a gift giver. Yeah. He does buy me gifts because he knows that I like it, but he's not into it at all. But, George, just getting back to the five languages of love. So if people don't have time to read the book or yeah. download it and yeah. listen to it, you just jump on. Can you explain that yeah. again, please? I've actually read the book, and, and to be honest, it was kind of a bit of a waste of time because the concept's very, very simple. You've just got to recognise this, this underlying principle that we will, by default, love in our own language, which may or may not, if we're very lucky, our partner has the same love language, but chances are they don't. And, yeah. and, and so all you've got to do is work out what they are. And now just one little quick thing while we're spending a bit of time on Chapman, he came up with five love languages. Clinically, we use six, and, and there's a very important reason why we split one of his into two. The way I discuss this in summary, which we can do very quickly, is there are three groups of love languages. So show me, tell me, touch me. And each one of those has two, okay? So show me is acts of service and gift giving. Tell me is words of affirmation and quality time having deeper conversation. And touch me, and this is, he, he, he has touched me as one single. We need to split it for the following reason. Touch me needs to be divided into sexual and non-sexual touch because it's a a very big category otherwise. And there are, you know, lots of blokes who's one of their languages of love is, is, is sexual interaction. And that's very different from their wife who says, yes, I like to, to hold hands and and have non-sexual hugging. But if you think of it in, in those simple three groups, tell me, touch me, show me. And each one of those has two languages. And then, yeah, you can jump jump onto the website. And he's, as I said, he's, he's got tests up there now that the couples do together. And I think there's one for the whole family to do, or you just get your kids to do it individually. It's really helpful to know what your kids' oh, are, yeah. are. I think it's probably just as important, if not more important, particularly when they're teenagers and they're going through difficult times, yep. to have yep. a really good understanding of the best way to connect to them. Well, you're just going to be able to well connect with them, as you were saying, but also communicate as well. It's going to affect your how you communicate yeah. if you know what their languages of love are. Yeah, no, it's so helpful. And I know with Gordo and, and my son Wiley, I'm trying to teach Wiley that Dad's language of love is acts of service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to help him help himself. Basically, <laughs> once you once once the kids jump on with, you know, they're all happy to jump onto a website. As long as, yeah. as long as it's mobile phone friendly. Uh, but if you want <laughs> yeah. to, to jump on there and do it, they get the concept. I think anything that has a, an exercise element to it 
it increases the assimilation of that psychologically and going through the process, answering the questions, seeing, you know, getting the surprise, you know, at the end of who you are in this regard, understanding that about other people. Once you've done it, it it becomes, it it makes so much sense. And you kind of realise that we've probably been wasting a lot of energy trying to love people in languages that don't work or give them thermomixes or bobcats for birthdays and and Valentine's Day. (laughs) Wetsuit. Great wet conversation suit starter <laughs> story. I didn't like the wetsuit. No. I got that one and yeah, it was okay. too big. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that wasn't, that wasn't a great, that wasn't one of his finest moments. No. So I suppose with that, like jumping online, like once you get the kids past the, oh, this is such a bad idea. A fun activity for Christmas <laughs> afternoon instead of drinking. <laughs> this is such a Steve's, such a Steve's. Yeah. <laughs> once you get them through that, it sounds like yeah. it's a really, really great exercise to do. So, George, do you have any advice for our 50s tribe on how best to manage the juggle of the social calendar, event organisation, gift buying, keeping the peace, watching alcohol consumption, avoiding the inevitable anxiety and keeping our shit together. Easy question, I know. And I can add one to that. I read this magazine article once and it was referring to PMS and not the PMS that we (laughs) we know of (laughs) intimately, but perfect moment syndrome. So we have these things planned in our heads of how this Christmas is going to play out, the magazine table and all of this. And then we can still be having a great Christmas day, but because it doesn't go exactly how we were expecting it, then we can start to get bugged. And, you know, that's when all that Mm. tension starts to simmer. How do we avoid all yeah. that? Yeah. You're, you're bringing up a, a range of different issues here. Let's see if we can unpack them quickly. So picking up on that last point you made, Tricia, so it's very important to run by the other key people who are major players on Christmas Day what your plan is for the day. It's the same issue, if I can just digress quickly, because it's such a yeah. common issue, that when I see a couple move in together for the first time, there's often conflict around what happens on the weekends when each of them have got a plan for the weekend and neither of them have discussed that plan with the other person. And as the weekend starts to go on, the tensions start to rise as they realise that the other person can't, well, they often don't realise the other person can't mind read. They're expecting the the other partner (laughs) not only mind read, to not only mind read. I know, not what have you talked about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. To not only mind read but to fit in, right? And, of course, you've yeah. got two people expecting the other person to mind read and to fit in, and, of course, that goes badly. So I get couples to do this when they first start living together on a Friday evening or Saturday morning, run through the, I, I, I think of it as six or seven segments of the weekend, and say, look, this is what I'm planning to do on my own. This is what we do together. How does that fit with your plan? And that just sol- solves a whole pile of conflict. So if we just apply that principle to Christmas Day, recognising that there are going to be some others who have got particular views on how it should work, that's just a quick conversation beforehand to say, okay, this is what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? How's that going to work? So yep. that kind of give a... Yeah, 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 that's brilliant. And so simple. And why, why are we not doing that? <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Because we're having that conversation in our head with ourselves. Oh my gosh! Okay, yes. Yeah, sorry, George. We're not doing it because we're human. That's 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 the issue. Oh, good. Okay, <laughs> I feel better now. <laughs> the other thing, George, I was thinking about of a conversation that we had prior to the podcast was, and I have this problem where I sometimes get a little bit excited at Christmas. <laughs> Or excited. You're yeah. an excitable person. I am very excitable That's why person. we love you. And sometimes I can spoil my own fun by not knowing when to stop 
when to stop drinking champagne and whatnot. And you, in the lead up to the call, we were talking about the white horse, black horse analogy. And I just love that because I really resonate with it so much. Yeah, this is a, uh, it's actually from, we're going back into the, the, the Greeks now who played with these different ways of understanding the human mind and I think did it in a much more creative way than Freud did a couple of thousand years later. But this idea that we're in a chariot and we've got two horses up front, we've got a white horse and a black horse, and one of them is very spirited and has lots of energy and is pretty distractible. That, of course, is the black one. And we have... Distractible is the exact <laughs> word. <laughs> and, and, and skittish and, and ready to bolt. <laughs> yes, yes. Yep, yep. <laughs> and, and then there's the white horse, which is the stable, calmer, thinking, more careful horse. And, and the beautiful part about... Yeah. <laughs> the, the beautiful part of, of this way of thinking about our mind is that it recognises that we have those at conscious and unconscious levels. But more importantly, that they're both important. You've got to have both of those. If you only have one of the horses, you're only going to half the speed, right? Or you're going to have half the endurance. So your job is to learn how to drive that chariot and to not tame necessarily because you can't tame a black horse, that's by, that's, you know, by definition, but to learn how to manage them. And that means that you think in, in advance, right? You make sure that the black horse is well fed before you go out. <laughs> it's going to be way, <laughs> way less distractible. <laughs> so true. And, 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 and recognising that the black horse is there. So that means that we're going to structure the day in a way. And when it comes to alcohol, we've touched on that a few times. Let me sort of <clears throat> give you the, the, the quick version of what I'm, I talk to people when it comes to managing alcohol. I think what a lot of us have learned to do to varying degrees of, of levels of achievement is to get into a habit in the way in which we drink. Like when you go into a bar, most of us by our age, typically when they ask us, what would you like to drink? Or you sit down at a restaurant table, you know what you're going to have because that's what you have, right? You know, I'll typically Mm -hmm. start with a a cold beer and then I'll have a, a glass of red wine. And if I'm driving, that'll only be two. If not, then it might be three maybe four, but depends on, <laughs> on the day. But, that, but that's a habit, right? And, and when you have these habits, they look after you after you've started to drink too much. Whereas if you don't define what your drinking pattern is going to be and you're kind of making it up as you go along on an ad hoc basis depending on what's around at the time, that's a recipe for trouble. Oh, somebody's making cocktails. Oh, <laughs> what's going on over there? Oh, yeah, sure, I'll have a glass. Oh, this is all just making so much sense. <laughs> yes. Oh, keep talking. Keep well, going. <laughs> well, the thing is that if you get in the habit of doing this, the habit carries you through because after a few drinks, the nature of alcohol, I, I'm always kind of fascinated by the a human relationship with alcohol. So we've grown up with dogs and dogs have worked out how to fit in around us very well, and they have. But I think we, ever since that first caveman had to drink that bit of fermented pawpaw juice over there, uh, I think we've started a similar relationship with alcohol that our brains have grown up or, or around alcohol in a way that we have to be very sort of wary of and, and careful. I mean, there's good dogs and there's bad dogs, you know, not to extend our animal metaphors too much here. <laughs> but it's, it's about recognising that this is a part of life. And 
we've got to come to our peace with it and come to terms with it. And getting into a habitual way of relating to alcohol is the best way to carry us through. Because after those first couple of drinks, we all know what your mind does then. It starts to go, oh, come on, you can have a bit more. It's no big deal. It's a special occasion. And, and of course, away you go. But if you have a habit that, you know, you have this and then that, and then you order a coffee, which is the kind of the book ending. I, for me, it starts with a beer and ends with a coffee. That's kind of done then, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. De- developing those kinds of habitual ways. <laughs> and of course, you almost need a different habit for different events because obviously Christmas Day, everybody says, well, it's Christmas Day. We can do it differently. But we need to have a Christmas Day protocol as well, which might be the same mm, as, yeah. um, as, as a long Sunday lunch protocol. But we need to develop these habits. You don't mix cocktails after lunch, right? (laughs) Especially if your nieces are making them. (laughs) Oh, that's a bad idea at our age, isn't it? Let's finish off with mixing cocktails. (laughs) If they want to have cocktails, start with them, okay? Yeah, right. Yeah, don't finish. But don't finish. Good. (laughs) No. No. I actually think that my 50-ish year old metabolism is actually helping my new habits form because I just, yeah, I don't like being hungover. No, Trish and I were talking like about this before. The I don't yeah. like spoiling my own fun yeah. Yeah. and I like to know what's going on. So yeah, 100%. Maybe finally the wisdom of age. Hey, there's some benefits. There's some distinct benefits <laughs> yeah, to being part of the 50 ish tribe, I tell you. Hey, George, we have got a wrap-up question for you because unfortunately we are getting towards the end of our time But um, and we ask all our guests this. And Mind is, you, I will what? tell you as secret listeners, we would have had more time had I pressed the record <laughs> button the first time we started this interview with George. Thank yeah. you for your patience, George. Yeah, so we're like yeah, ten, 10 minutes, minutes into it. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, what advice would the 50-ish George give to the George in his 20s? Wow. Um, you know, I think it would have probably been care less about what people think and and what you think the world wants from you and spend more time working out what is meaningful and rewarding for you, which is many ways why I wrote The Way of the Quest. I, I wrote that book, oh, must have been 10 years, no, not that long ago. Well, I probably started writing it 10 years ago. But that book was all about really that issue. I think we. Yeah. I, it wasn't until my, I would suggest, late 30s, early 40s that I really started to work life out and take some big decisions like I decided in my practice that I wasn't going to see particular kinds of patients with particular kinds of issues because I knew I just wasn't very good at it and it didn't interest me. I, I really wanted to do psychotherapy. I wanted to go deeper in people's minds. I wanted to understand. And I actually I took this big decision, which for a while made me a lot less busy. I said to my secretaries, nobody gets in to see me unless they're coming to see me for one of three conditions. And that's one of three out of, I don't know, 15 or 20 that mm. general psychiatrists commonly see. And so I think if I'd, I would have maybe started that process a lot earlier because we spend a lot of time trying to be what other we think other people think we should be or what we think other people think we should be. And yep. we're wasting time getting to the full expression of ourself because I do believe that we come into this life with a potential that we need to make manifest. And some people I think have sad lives because they never worked that out. And I think that's one of the greatest sort of quests in in, in, in human experience. So, yeah, I think I would have told myself to really spend more time 
trying to ignore these enormous pressures of, of what we should be. That's yeah. a brilliant answer. So and brilliant. I love that, that we're, we're born with this potential that we need to manifest. Mm. That's a great takeaway moment. Yeah. I do, I'll share a really, really quick story just on that because my husband is one of the few people I know who honestly don't care what other people think about him. And we are at the Whitsundays recently and we went over to Whitehaven Beach and because it's stinger season, they handed out stinger suits and um, which are like those sort of, you know, those swimsuits with the yeah. attached hood and um, like a Spider-Man kind of suit yeah. type thing, Lycra. And so Mark is a, a big man and he had shorts and a T-shirt on. So he decided to try his on in the boat before, like in front of everybody. It was one of those big catamarans and we were at the front. And so he put it on and the kids were going, oh, Dad, don't do that. That's like everyone's looking at you. And he said to them, these people mean nothing to me. He didn't care. My favourite Mark story, when at our engagement party, oh yeah, Mark came and it was a summer on the Sunshine Coast. It was a stinking hot day. Mark, or oh, what, six foot four, six foot five, mm. enormous man, bald head, turns up in a caftan because it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah, Absolutely. some of my friends oh, yeah. were very um, envious. My friend Toddy still talks about, about that. that caftan, yeah, that yeah, man in my caftan. Yeah, it's yeah. just being more comfortable, isn't it, in yeah. your own skin? Yeah. yeah. George, that was awesome. You're amazing. Thank you so much for agreeing to chat with us today. We really appreciate it and I'm sure that our listeners are going to absolutely love it and get so much from it. Absolutely. Look, I really enjoyed spending this time with you too. It's been a lot of fun and I really love the opportunity to be able to play with some of these ideas, go in all different directions as we have here, but do it with wit and laughter, which you guys bring in buckets. <laughs> Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. That's a huge compliment. So, 50 dishes. We'll have all the details on how you can get your hands on George's brilliant books. And we'll have all of that in our show notes and also on our socials. We're also very excited to let you know that George has kindly agreed already <laughs> to record another episode with us in the new year. I'm mentioning that now in case after today he changes his mind. <laughs> George and his daughter, Dibony, are going to talk to us about their co-authored book, How to Make the Biggest Decision of Your Life. So gorgeous 50 issues, look after yourself this Christmas, be gentle, patient and generous with yourselves and those around you. If you need to, take breaks, pay attention to your own needs and feelings. Remember, you can't fill everyone's cup up if yours is empty. If you're feeling down or something shitty goes down, talk to someone, get support and reach out for help. You can follow us on Instagram at don'tgiver50 or email us at hello at don'tgiver50.com.au. Remember, life is for living. Don't give a 50 because we are all freaking awesome regardless of age and living is an absolute privilege. Wishing you a very Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Very Indian Christmas. <laughs>
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.